0: Part 1 of Areopagitica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Areopagitica, a speech of Mr. John Milton for the liberty of unlicensed printing to the Parliament of England, Part 1. This is true liberty when free-born men, having to advise the public may speak free, which he who can and will deserves high praise, who neither can nor will may hold his peace. What can be juster in a state than this? Euripides, A Suppliance. They who to states and governors of the commonwealth direct their speech, high court of parliament, or wanting such access in a private condition, write that which they foresee may advance the public good, I suppose them, as at the beginning of no mean endeavour, not a little altered and moved inwardly in their minds, some with doubt of what will be the success, others with fear of what will be the censure, some with hope, others with confidence of what they have to speak, and me, perhaps, each of these dispositions, as the subject was whereon I entered, may have at other times variously affected and likely might in these foremost expressions now also disclose which of them swayed most but that the very attempt of this address thus made and the thought of whom it hath recourse to hath got the power within me to a passion far more welcome than incidental to a preface which though I stay not to confess ere any ask I shall be blameless if it be no other than the joy and gratulation which it brings to all who wish and promote their country's liberty, whereof this whole discourse proposed will be a certain testimony if not a trophy. For this is not the liberty which we can hope that no grievance ever should arise in the commonwealth, that let no man in this world expect, but when complaints are freely heard deeply considered and speedily reformed then is the utmost bound of civil liberty attained that wise men look for to which if i now manifest by the very sound of this which i shall utter that we are already in good part arrived and yet from such a steep disadvantage of tyranny and superstition grounded into our principles as was beyond the manhood of a roman recovery It will be attributed first, as is most due, to the strong assistance of God our Deliverer, next to your faithful guidance and undaunted wisdom, lords and commons of England. Neither is it in God's esteem the diminution of His glory when honourable things are spoken of good men and worthy magistrates, which, if I now first should begin to do, after so fair a progress of your laudable deeds, and such a long obligement upon the whole realm to your indefatigable virtues, I might be justly reckoned among the tardiest and the unwillingest of them that praise ye. Nevertheless, there being three principal things, without which all praising is but courtship and flattery, first when that only is praised which is solidly worth praise, next when greatest likelihoods are brought that such things are truly and really in those persons to whom they are ascribed, the other When he who praises, by showing that such his actual persuasion is, of whom he writes, can demonstrate that he flatters not, the former two of these I have heretofore endeavoured, rescuing the employment from him who went about to impair your merits with a trivial and malignant encomium, the latter, as belonging chiefly to mine own acquittal, that whom I so extolled I did not flatter, hath been reserved opportunely to this occasion." For he who freely magnifies what hath been nobly done, and fears not to declare as freely what might be done better, gives ye the best covenant of his fidelity, and that his loyalest affection and his hope waits on your proceedings. His highest praising is not flattery, and his plainest advice is a kind of praising, for though I should affirm and hold by argument that it would fare better with truth, with learning and the commonwealth if one of your published orders which i should name were called in yet at the same time it could not but much redound to the luster of your mild and equal government when as private persons are hereby animated to think ye better pleased with public advice than other statists have been delighted heretofore with public flattery and men will then see what difference there is between the magnanimity of a triennial parliament and that jealous haughtiness of prelates and cabin councillors that usurped of late, when as they shall observe ye, in the midst of your victories and successes, more gently brooking written exceptions against devoted order than other courts, which had produced nothing worth memory but the weak ostentation of wealth, would have endured the least signified dislike at any sudden proclamation. If I should thus far presume, upon the meek demeanour of your civil and gentle greatness, lords and commons, as what your published order hath directly said that to gain say, I might defend myself with ease, if any should accuse me of being new or insolent, did they but know how much better I find ye esteem it to imitate the old and elegant humanity of Greece, than the barbaric pride of a Hunnish and Norwegian stateliness. And out of those ages, to whose polite wisdom and letters we owe that we are not yet Goths and Jutlanders, I could name him who, from his private house, wrote that discourse to the Parliament of Athens, that persuades them to change the form of democracy which was then established. Such honor was done in those days to men who professed the study of wisdom and eloquence, not only in their own country, but in other lands, that cities and signories heard them gladly and with great respect if they had aught in public to admonish the state thus did dion preseus a stranger and a private orator counsel the rhodians against a former edict and i abound with other like examples which to set here would be superfluous but if from the industry of a life wholly dedicated to studious labors and those natural endowments haply not the worst for two and fifty degrees of northern latitude so much must be derogated as to count me not equal to any of those who had this privilege i would obtain to be thought not so inferior as yourselves are superior to most of them who received their counsel and how far you excel them be assured lords and commons there can no greater testimony appear than when your prudent spirit acknowledges and obeys the voice of reason, from what quarter soever it be heard speaking, and renders ye as willing to repeal any act of your own setting forth, as any set forth by your predecessors. If ye be thus resolved, as it were injury to think ye were not, I know not what should withhold me from presenting ye with a fit instance whereon to show both that love of truth which ye eminently profess and that uprightness of your judgment which is not wont to be partial to yourselves, by judging over again that order which ye have ordained to regulate printing, that no book, pamphlet, or paper shall be henceforth printed, unless the same be first approved and licensed by such, or at least one of such, as shall be thereto appointed. For that part which preserves justly Every man's copy to himself or provides for the poor I touch not, only wish they be not made pretenses to abuse and persecute honest and painful men who offend not in either of these particulars. But that other clause of licensing books, which we thought had died with his brother quadragesimal and matrimonial when the prelates expired, I shall now attend with such a homily as shall lay before ye, first the inventors of it to be those whom ye will be loath to own. Next, what is to be thought in general of reading, whatever sort the books be? And that this order avails nothing to the suppressing of scandalous, seditious, and libelous books which were mainly intended to be suppressed. Last, that it will be primely to the discouragement of all learning and the stop of truth, not only by disexercising and blunting our abilities in what we know already, but by hindering and cropping the discovery that might be yet further made, both in religious and civil wisdom. I deny not but that it is of greatest concernment in the church and commonwealth to have a vigilant eye how books demean themselves as well as men, and thereafter to confine, imprison, and do sharpest justice on them as malefactors. For books are not absolutely dead things, but to contain a potency of life in them, to be as active as that soul was whose progeny they are. Nay, they do preserve as in a vial the purest efficacy and extraction of that living intellect that bred them. I know they are as lively and as vigorously productive as those fabulous dragon's teeth, and being sown up and down may chance to spring up armed men. And yet, on the other hand, unless wariness be used, as good almost kill a man as kill a good book. Who kills a man kills a reasonable creature, God's image. But he who destroys a good book kills reason itself, kills the image of God, as it were, in the eye. Many a man lives a burden to the earth, but a good book is the precious life blood of a master spirit. Embalmed and treasured up on purpose to a life beyond life. It is true, no age can restore a life, whereof perhaps there is no great loss, and revolutions of ages do not oft recover the loss of a rejected truth, for the want of which whole nations fare the worse. We should be wary, therefore, what persecution we raise against the living labours of public men, how we spill that seasoned life of man preserved and stored up in books since we see a kind of homicide may be thus committed, sometimes a martyrdom, and, if it extend to the whole impression, a kind of massacre, whereof the execution ends not in the slaying of an elemental life, but strikes at that ethereal and fifth essence, the breath of reason itself, slays an immortality rather than a life. But lest I should be condemned of introducing license while I oppose licensing, I refuse not the pains to be so much historical as will serve to show what hath been done by ancient and famous commonwealths against this disorder, till the very time that this project of licensing crept out of the inquisition, was catched up by our prelates, and hath caught some of our presbyters. In Athens, where books and wits were ever busier than in any other part of Greece, I find but only two sorts of writings which the magistrate cared to take notice of, those either blasphemous and atheistical or libelous. Thus the books of Protagoras were by the judges of Areopagus commanded to be burnt, and himself banished the territory for a discourse begun with his confessing not to know whether there were gods or whether not. And against defaming, it was agreed that none should be traduced by name, as was the manner of Vetus Commedia, whereby we may guess how they censured libeling. And this course was quick enough, as Cicero writes, to quell both the desperate wits of other atheists and the open way of defaming, as the event showed. Of other sects and opinions, though tending to voluptuousness and the denying of divine providence, they took no heed. Therefore we do not read that either Epicurus, or that libertine school of Cyrene, or what the cynic impudence uttered, was ever questioned by the laws. Neither is it recorded that the writings of those old comedians were suppressed, though the acting of them were forbid, and that Plato commended the reading of Aristophanes, the loosest of them all, to his royal scholar Dionysius is commonly known, and may be excused if Holy Chrysostom, as is reported, nightly studied so much the same author, and had the art to cleanse a scurrilous vehemence into the style of a rousing sermon. That other leading city of Greece, Lacedaemon, considering that Lycurgus, their lawgiver, was so addicted to elegant learning as to have been the first that brought out of Ionia the scattered works of Homer, and sent the poet Thales from Crete to prepare and mollify the Spartan surliness with his smooth songs and odes, the better to plant among them law and civility, it is to be wondered how museless and unbookish they were, minding not but the feats of war. There needed no licensing of books among them, for they disliked all but their own laconic apothegms, and took a slight occasion to chase Archilochus out of their city, perhaps for composing in a higher strain than their own soldierly ballads and roundels could reach to or if it were for his broad verses they were not therein so cautious but they were as dissolute in their promiscuous conversing whence euripides affirms in andromache that their women were all unchaste thus much may give us light after what sort books were prohibited among the greeks the romans also for many ages trained up only to a military roughness resembling most the lacedaemonian guise knew of learning little but what their twelve tables and the pontific college with their augurs and flamens taught them in religion and law so unacquainted with other learning that when carneades and Critolaus, with the stoic diogenes coming ambassadors to rome took thereby occasion to give the city a taste of their philosophy they were suspected for seducers by no less a man than cato the censor who moved it in the senate to dismiss them speedily and to banish all such Attic babblers out of Italy. But Scipio and others of the noblest senators withstood him and his old Sabine austerity, honoured and admired the men, and the censor himself at last, in his old age, fell to the study of that whereof before he was so scrupulous. And yet at the same time, Nevius and Plautus, the first Latin comedians, had filled the city with all the borrowed scenes of Menander and Philemon then began to be considered there also what was to be done to libelous books and authors. For Nevius was quickly cast into prison for his unbridled pen, and released by the tribunes upon his recantation. We read also that libels were burnt, and the makers punished by Augustus. The like severity, no doubt, was used if aught were impiously written against their esteemed gods. Except in these two points, how the world went in books the magistrate kept no reckoning and therefore lucretius without impeachment versifies his epicurism to memmius and had the honour to be set forth the second time by cicero so great a father of the commonwealth although himself disputes against that opinion in his own writings nor was the satirical sharpness or naked plainness of lucilius or catullus or flaccus by any order prohibited. And for matters of state, the story of Titus Livius, though it extolled that part which Pompey held, was not therefore suppressed by Octavius Caesar of the other faction. But that Nosso was by him banished in his old age, for the wanton poems of his youth was but a mere covert of state over some secret cause, and besides, the books were neither banished nor called in. From hence we shall meet with little else but tyranny in the Roman Empire, that we may not marvel if not so often bad as good books were silenced. I shall therefore deem to have been large enough in producing what among the ancients was punishable to write, save only which all other arguments were free to treat on. By this time the emperors were become Christians whose discipline in this point I do not find to have been more severe than what was formerly in practice. The books of those whom they took to be grand heretics were examined, refuted, and condemned in the general councils, and not till then were prohibited or burnt by authority of the emperor. As for the writings of heathen authors, unless they were plain invectives against Christianity, as those of Porphyrius and Proclus, They met with no interdict that can be cited till about the year 400, in a Carthaginian council, wherein bishops themselves were forbid to read the books of Gentiles, but heresies they might read, while others long before them, on the contrary, scrupled more the books of heretics than of Gentiles. And that the primitive councils and bishops were wont only to declare what books were not commendable, passing no further but leaving it to each one's conscience to read or to lay by till after the year 800, is observed already by Padre Paolo, the great unmasker of the Trentine Council. After which time, the popes of Rome, engrossing what they pleased of pontifical rule into their own hands, extended their dominion over men's eyes as they had before over their judgments, burning and prohibiting to be read what they fancied not, yet sparing in their censures and the books not many which they so dealt with till martin v by his bull not only prohibited but was the first that excommunicated the reading of heretical books for about that time wycliffe and huss growing terrible were they who first drove the papal court to a stricter policy of prohibiting which course leo x and his successors followed until the Council of Trent and the Spanish Inquisition, engendering together, brought forth or perfected those catalogues and expurging indexes that rake through the entrails of many an old good author with a violation worse than any could be offered to his tomb. Nor did they stay in matters heretical, but any subject that was not to their palate they either condemned in a prohibition Or had it straight into the new purgatory of an index. To fill up the measure of encroachment, their last invention was to ordain that no book, pamphlet, or paper should be printed, as if St. Peter had bequeathed them the keys of the press also out of Paradise, unless it were approved and licensed under the hands of two or three glutton friars, for example. Let the Chancellor Cini be pleased to see if, in this present work, be contained aught that may withstand the printing. Vincent Rabata, Vicar of Florence. I have seen this present work and find nothing athwart the Catholic faith and good manners. In witness whereof, I have given etc. Niccolò Cini, Chancellor of Florence. Attending the precedent relation, it is allowed that this present work of Davanzati may be printed vincent rabata etc it may be printed july fifteenth friar simon mompe d'Amelia, chancellor of the holy office in florence sure they have a conceit if he of the bottomless pit had not long since broke prison that this quadruple exorcism would bar him down i fear their next design will be to get into their custody the licensing of that which they say claudius intended but went not through with Vouchsafe safe to see another of their forms the roman stamp imprimatur if it seemed good to the reverend master of the holy palace bel castro vicegerent imprimatur friar niccolo rodolphi master of the holy palace sometimes five imprimaturs are seen together dialogue wise in the piazza of one title page complimenting and ducking each to other with their shaven reverences whether the author, who stands by in perplexity at the foot of his epistle, shall to the press or to the sponge. These are the pretty responsories, these are the dear antiphonies, that so bewitched of late our prelates and their chaplains, with the goodly echo they made, and besotted us to the gay imitation of a lordly imprimatur, one from Lambeth House, another from the west end of Paul's, so apishly romanizing that the word of command still was set down in Latin, as if the learned grammatical pen that wrote it would cast no ink without Latin, or perhaps, as they thought, because no vulgar tongue was worthy to express the pure conceit of an imprimatur, but rather, as I hope, for that our English, the language of men ever famous and foremost in the achievements of liberty, will not easily find servile letters enow to spell such a dictatory presumption, English. And thus ye have the inventors and the original of book licensing ripped up and drawn as lineally as any pedigree. We have it not that can be heard of from any ancient state, or polity, or church, nor by any statute left us by our ancestors, elder or later, nor from the modern custom of any reformed city or church abroad, but from the most anti-Christian council and the most tyrannous inquisition that ever inquired. Till then, books were ever as freely admitted into the world as any other birth. The issue of the brain was no more stifled than the issue of the womb. No envious Juno sat cross-legged over the nativity of any man's intellectual offspring but if it proved a monster who denies but that it was justly burnt or sunk into the sea but that a book in worse condition than a peccant soul should be to stand before a jury ere it be born to the world and undergo yet in darkness the judgment of radamanth and his colleagues ere it can pass the fairy backward into light was never heard before till that mysterious iniquity PROVOKED AND TROUBLED AT THE FIRST ENTRANCE OF REFORMATION SOUGHT OUT NEW LIMBOS AND NEW HELLS, WHEREIN THEY MIGHT INCLUDE OUR BOOKS ALSO WITHIN THE NUMBER OF THEIR DAMNED. AND THIS WAS THE RARE MORSEL SO OFFICIOUSLY SNATCHED UP AND SO ill favouredly IMITATED BY OUR INQUISITURIANT BISHOPS AND THE ATTENDANT MINORITIES, THEIR chaplains. That ye like not now these most certain authors of this licensing order, and that all sinister intention was far distant from your thoughts, when ye were importuned the passing it, all men who know the integrity of your actions, and how ye honour truth, will clear ye readily. But some will say, what though the inventors were bad, the thing for all that may be good. It may be so. Yet... IF THAT THING BE NO SUCH DEEP INVENTION, BUT OBVIOUS, AND EASY FOR ANY MAN TO LIGHT ON, AND YET BEST AND WISEST COMMONWEALTHS, THROUGH ALL AGES AND OCCASIONS, HAVE FORBORN TO USE IT, AND FALSEST SEDUCERS AND OPPRESSORS OF MEN WERE THE FIRST TO TOOK IT UP, AND TO NO OTHER PURPOSE BUT TO obstruct AND HINDER THE FIRST APPROACH OF REFORMATION. I am of those who believe it will be a harder alchemy than Lullius ever knew to sublimate any good use out of such an invention. Yet this only is what I request to gain from this reason, that it may be held a dangerous and suspicious fruit, as certainly it deserves, for the tree that bore it, until I can dissect one by one the properties it has. But I have first to finish, as was propounded, what is to be thought in general of reading books, whatever sort they be, and whether be more the benefit or the harm that thence proceeds. Not to insist upon the examples of Moses, Daniel, and Paul, who were skilful in all the learning of the Egyptians, Chaldeans, and Greeks, which could not probably be without reading their books of all sorts, and Paul especially, who thought it no defilement to insert into Holy Scripture the sentences of three Greek poets, and one of them a tragedian. The question was, notwithstanding, sometimes controverted among the primitive doctors, but with great odds on that side which affirmed it both lawful and profitable, as was then evidently perceived when Julian the apostate, and subtlest enemy to our faith, made a decree forbidding Christians the study of heathen learning. For, said he, they wound us with our own weapons, and with our own arts and sciences they overcome us. And indeed, the Christians were put so to their shifts by this crafty means, and so much in danger to decline into all ignorance, that the two Apollinarii were fain, as a man may say, to coin all the seven liberal sciences out of the Bible reducing it into diverse forms of orations, poems, dialogues, even to the calculating of a new Christian grammar. But, saith the historian Socrates, the providence of God provided better than the industry of Apollinarius and his son by taking away that illiterate law with the life of him who devised it. So great an injury they then held it to be deprived of Hellenic learning and thought it a persecution, more undermining and secretly decaying the church than the open cruelty of Decius or Diocletian. And perhaps it was the same politic drift that the devil whipped St. Jerome in a Lenten dream for reading Cicero, or else it was a phantasm bred by the fever which had then seized him, for had an angel been his discipliner, unless it were for dwelling too much upon Ciceronianisms, and had chastised the reading, not the vanity, it had been plainly partial, first to correct him for grave Cicero, and not for scurril Plautus, whom he confesses to have been reading not long before, next to correct him only, and let so many more ancient fathers wax old in those pleasant and florid studies without the lash of such a tutoring apparition, insomuch that Basil teaches how some good use may be made of Margites, a sportful poem, not now extant writ by Homer, and why not then of Morgante, an Italian romance, much to the same purpose? But if it be agreed we shall be tried by visions, there is a vision recorded by Eusebius far ancienter than this tale of Jerome to the non-Eustochium, and besides has nothing of a fever in it. Dionysius Alexandrinus was about the year 240 a person of great name in the church for piety and learning, who had wont to avail himself much against heretics by being conversant in their books, until a certain presbyter laid it scrupulously to his conscience how he durst venture himself among those defiling volumes. The worthy man, loath to give offence, fell into a new debate with himself what was to be thought. When suddenly a vision sent from God, it is his own epistle that so affers it, confirmed him in these words, Read any books, whatever come to thy hands, for thou art sufficient both to judge aright and to examine each matter. To this revelation he assented the sooner, as he confesses, because it was answerable to that of the apostle to the Thessalonians, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And he might have added another remarkable saying of the same author, To the pure all things are pure, not only meats and drinks, but all kind of knowledge, whether of good or evil. The knowledge cannot defile nor consequently the books, if the will and conscience be not defiled. For books are as meats and viands are, some of good, some of evil substance. And yet God, in that unapocryphal vision, said without exception, Rise, Peter, kill and eat, leaving the choice to each man's discretion. Wholesome meats to a vitiated stomach differ little or nothing from unwholesome, and best books to a naughty mind are not unappliable to occasions of evil. Bad meats will scarce breed good nourishment in the healthiest concoction, but herein the differences of bad books, that they, to a discreet and judicious reader, serve in many respects to discover, to confute, to forewarn, and to illustrate. Whereof what better witness can ye expect I should produce than one of your own, now sitting in Parliament, the chief of learned men reputed in this land, Mr. Selden, whose volume of natural and national laws proves not only by great authorities brought together, but by exquisite reasons and theorems, almost mathematically demonstrative, that all opinions, yea, errors, known read and collated, are of main service and assistance toward the speedy attainment of what is truest. I conceive, therefore, that when God did enlarge the universal diet of man's body, saving ever the rules of temperance, he then also, as before, left arbitrary the dieting and repasting of our minds, as wherein every mature man might have to exercise his own leading capacity. How great a virtue is temperance! How much of moment through the whole life of man! Yet God commits the managing of so great a trust, without particular law or prescription, wholly to the demeanour of every grown man. And therefore, when he himself tabled the Jews from heaven, that omer, which was every man's daily portion of manna, is computed to have been more than might have well sufficed the heartiest feeder, thrice as many meals. For those actions which enter into a man rather than issue out of him, and therefore defile not, God uses not to captivate under a perpetual childhood of prescription, but trusts him with the gift of reason to be his own chooser. There would but little work left for preaching if law and compulsion should grow so fast upon those things which heretofore were governed only by exhortation. Solomon informs us that much reading is a weariness to the flesh, but neither he nor other inspired author tells us that such or such reading is unlawful. Yet certainly, had God thought good to limit us herein, it had been much more expedient to have told us what was unlawful than what was wearisome. As for the burning of those Ephesian books by St. Paul's converts, it is replied the books were magic, the Syriac so renders them. It was a private act, a voluntary act, and leaves us to a voluntary imitation. The men in remorse burnt those books which were their own. The magistrate by this example is not appointed. These men practiced the books. Another might perhaps have read them in some sort usefully. Good and evil, we know, in the field of this world grow up together almost inseparably. And the knowledge of good is so involved and interwoven with the knowledge of evil, and in so many cunning resemblances hardly to be discerned, that those confused seeds which were imposed on Psyche as an incessant labor to cull out and sort asunder were not more intermixed. It was from out the rind of one apple tasted that the knowledge of good and evil as two twins cleaving together leapt forth into the world. And perhaps this is that doom which Adam fell into of knowing good and evil, that is to say of knowing good by evil, as therefore the state of man now is, what wisdom can there be to choose, what continence to forbear without the knowledge of evil? He that can apprehend and consider vice with all her baits and seeming pleasures, and yet abstain and yet distinguish and yet prefer that which is truly better, he is the true wayfaring Christian, I cannot praise a fugitive and cloistered virtue, unexercised and unbreathed, that never sallies out and seeks her adversary, but slinks out of the race, where that immortal garland is to be run for, not without dust and heat. Assuredly, we bring not innocence into the world. We bring impurity much rather. That which purifies us is trial, and trial is by what is contrary. That virtue, therefore, which is but a youngling in the contemplation of evil, and knows not the utmost that vice promises to her followers, and rejects it, is but a blank virtue, not a pure. Her whiteness is but an excremental whiteness, which was the reason why our sage and serious poet Spenser, whom I dare be known to think a better teacher, than Scotus or Aquinas, describing true temperance under the person of Gion, brings him in with his palmer through the cave of Mammon and the bower of earthly bliss, that he might see and know, and yet abstain. Since therefore the knowledge and survey of vice is in this world so necessary to the constituting of human virtue, and the scanning of error to the confirmation of truth, how can we more safely and with less danger scout into the regions of sin and falsity than by reading all manner of tractates and hearing all manner of reason? And this is the benefit which may be had of books promiscuously read. But of the harm that may result hence, three kinds are usually reckoned. First is feared the infection that may spread. But then all human learning and controversy in religious points must remove out of the world. Yea, the Bible itself, for that oft-times relates blasphemy not nicely. It describes the carnal sense of wicked men not unelegantly. It brings in holiest men passionately murmuring against Providence through all the arguments of Epicurus. In other great disputes it answers dubiously and darkly to the common reader and ask a Talmudist what ails the modesty of his marginal carry that Moses and all the prophets cannot persuade him to pronounce the textual chetif. For these causes, we all know, the Bible itself put by the Papist into the first rank of prohibited books. The ancientest fathers must be next removed, as Clement of Alexandria and that Eusebian book of Evangelic Preparation transmitting our ears through a horde of heathenish obscenities to receive the gospel, who finds not that Irenaeus, Epiphanius, Jerome, and others discover more heresies than they well confute, and that oft for heresy which is the truer opinion? Nor boots it to say for these and all the heathen writers of greatest infection, if it must be thought so, with whom is bound up the life of human learning, that they wrote in an unknown tongue, so long as we are sure those languages are known as well to the worst of men, who are both most able and most diligent to instill the poison they suck first into the courts of princes, acquainting them with the choicest delights and criticisms of sin. As perhaps did that Petronius, whom Nero called his arbiter, the master of his revels, and that notorious ribald of Arezzo, dreaded and yet dear to the Italian courtiers. I name not him for posterity's sake, whom Harry the Eighth named in merriment his vicar of hell. By which compendious way, all the contagion that foreign books can infuse will find a passage to the people far easier and shorter than an Indian voyage, though it could be sailed either by the north of Cateo eastward or of Canada westward, while our Spanish licensing gags the English press never so severely. But on the other side, that infection which is from books of controversy in religion is more doubtful and dangerous to the learned than to the ignorant, and yet those books must be permitted untouched by the licenser. It will be hard to instance where any ignorant man hath been ever seduced by papistical book in English, unless it were commended and expounded to him by some of that clergy. And indeed, all such tractates, whether false or true, are as the prophecy of Isaiah was to the eunuch, not to be understood without a guide. But of our priests and doctors... How many have been corrupted by studying the comments of Jesuits and Sorbonnists, and how fast they could transfuse that corruption into the people. Our experience is both late and sad. It is not forgot, since the acute and distinct Arminius was perverted merely by the perusing of a nameless discourse written at Delft, which at first he took in hand to confute. Seeing, therefore, that those books and those in great abundance which are likeliest to taint both life and doctrine cannot be suppressed without the fall of learning and of all ability in disputation and that these books of either sort are most and soonest catching to the learned from whom to the common people whatever is heretical or dissolute may quickly be conveyed and that evil manners are as perfectly learnt without books a thousand other ways which cannot be stopped, and evil doctrine not with books can propagate except a teacher guide, which he might also do without writing and so beyond prohibiting, I am not able to unfold how this caudalous enterprise of licensing can be exempted from the number of vain and impossible attempts. And he who were pleasantly disposed could not well avoid to liken it to the exploit of that gallant man who thought to pound up the crows by shutting his park-gate. Besides another inconvenience, if learned men be the first receivers out of books unto spreaders both of vice and error, how shall the licensers themselves be confided in, unless we can confer upon them, or they assume to themselves, above all others in the land, the grace of infallibility and uncorruptedness? And again, if it be true that a wise man, like a good refiner, can gather gold out of the drossiest volume, and that a fool will be a fool with the best book, yea, or without book, there is no reason that we should deprive a wise man of any advantage to his wisdom, while we seek to restrain from a fool that which, being restrained, will be no hindrance to his folly. For if there should be so much exactness always used to keep that from him which is unfit for his reading, we should in the judgment of Aristotle not only but of Solomon and of our Saviour not vouchsafe him good precepts and by consequence not willingly admit him to good books, as being certain that a wise man will make better use of an idle pamphlet than a fool will do of sacred Scripture. Tis next alleged... We must not expose ourselves to temptations without necessity, and next to that, not employ our time in vain things. To both these objections, one answer will serve, out of the grounds already laid, that to all men such books are not temptations nor vanities, but useful drugs and materials wherewith to temper and compose effective and strong medicines, which man's life cannot want. The rest, As children and childish men, who have not the art to qualify and prepare these working minerals, well may be exhorted to forbear, but hindered forcibly they cannot be by all the licensing that sainted inquisition could ever yet contrive, which is what I promise to deliver next, that this order of licensing conduces nothing to the end for which it was framed, and hath almost prevented me by being clear already. While thus much hath been explaining, see the ingenuity of truth, who, when she gets a free and willing hand, opens herself faster than the pace of method and discourse can overtake her. End of part one. Recording by Thomas Copeland.